Welcome to the First Steps Podcast, where we help you take your first steps into business. First Steps is a podcast presented by the Entrepreneurship Club and the CIE, Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship, here at the University of Mississippi. Welcome. I'm your host, Sam Rickles. I'm the president of the Entrepreneurship Club here at the University of Mississippi, and I am joined today with my two co-hosts, Raj and Pamela. Hello, everyone. I'm Raj Patel, the vice president of the Entrepreneurship Club. Hey, guys. I'm Pamela Hosey, the treasurer of the Entrepreneurship Club. I'd like to thank our guest, Blake Dubinsky, MBA, instructor of management and entrepreneurship, the entrepreneur in residence here at the University of Mississippi, inside the School of Business Administration. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. All right then, Blake. Can you give us a quick introduction about your company and tell us where it all started? Yeah, so uh, I started a clothing company back in 2016. It's called Genteel Apparel. Uh, I started that with a friend of mine, uh, Bryce. Um, so I, I, like I said, I started that in 2016 um, while I was in well, we, we started working on 2014, launched it in 2016. Um, I'm uh, originally from Kansas City. I uh, did my undergrad as well uh, as my uh, MBA here at Ole Miss. Um, and while I was in grad school and we were starting the business, I actually got the opportunity to, uh, to teach a few classes. Um, so I've taught everything from business communications to management, 371, 383, 493. And now I'm the uh, entrepreneur in residence, like you said, and I teach... Uh, um, business, uh, business venturing and then venture finance as well here at Ole Miss. So what, so what, like, so what really brought you like into the business world? Like what, like what was like that first moment when you thought that, you know, business was, was for you? Uh, well, you know, I wasn't that dissimilar from any other high school senior when I was coming uh, to Ole Miss. Um, I knew that, I, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I actually thought I wanted to work in the athletic department. And then I met some guys in the athletic department and realized I didn't want to work in the athletic department. Um, and so that, that led me to, uh, to, you know, just becoming a business major because I thought it'd give me the best options uh, um, for career growth once I graduated. Um, and then, you know, after I, I finished undergrad, I did pharmaceutical sales for a little while. Um, and that, that taught me that I did not, I was not a good salesman. Um, and I didn't like sales, um, especially pharmaceutical sales. I didn't like the feeling of buying somebody lunch just so they'd talk to me. So that's why I went back to school. Um, and it, it was good timing for me to go back to school and start the business. Cause there was a lot of applicable, applicable lessons, uh, while I was in the MBA program, while I was, you know, getting started with a clothing company. Yeah. With my limited experience, like I've had in in some sales, it's you know it's a it's a rough gig. Oh, sales is tough, and pharmaceutical sales. There's a million other people that do yeah. and sell the same drugs I was selling, right? Um, but uh, it was a good experience. It was a good learning experience. So that was what I refer to as a uh, um, a character building job. Gotcha. So what was, so what was like the first step that got you into uh, your current business? Um, well, it was through uh, a relationship I had. Uh, I was dating a girl at the time who worked with the wife of, of my now business partner, Bryce. Um, and, um, you know, Bryce approached me with the, he, you know, he, Bryce teaches in the biology department. Um, and if you look at Bryce and I, we, we're like the fairly odd couple. We don't necessarily, you wouldn't think that the two of us would go together as, as friends. Um, but we, um, he, he kind of had this idea of, of, 
putting this logo on apparel. Um, he needed some help, uh, business acumen uh, help. And so he, uh, he asked me what I thought about it. So we, we started meeting and having beers at the Growler uh, here in town and, and talking about it. And then it just kind of evolved from there. We started asking um, some, the opinion of some retailers here in town, what they thought about it. And um, we basically just took about two years, 2000, beginning of 2014 until the beginning of 2016 to, to learn, you know, essentially what we were doing and, and learn, learn the apparel industry. So it's basically what you're doing now all started because you met a girl. Yeah. And uh, that girl was mean. So I came, Bryce approached me with this idea and I came, I, I came home and I told her, she's like, well, what did Bryce want to go out beers with you and talk about? And I told her about it. And she, she gave, she had one of those looks like one of those or else looks. Cause I told her, I wasn't sure that that's something I was going to be interested in. She gave me one of those or else looks and you know, here I am several years later. So. So were you and Bryce like close friends before you guys got into business? Not really. We were really uh, just acquaintances. Uh, we had, you know, through his wife and my girlfriend at the time, we had been through or, and you know, we'd been at the same places, you know, hung out in the Grove a few times for football games, uh, things like that. So, but we've come to be very, very close friends. I mean, I, I talked to him more than anybody else <laughs> in the, and uh, so, but to answer your question, no, we, we really weren't that close in the beginning. What kind of different aspects did y'all bring like to the business? So that's a great question. So I am very much conservative in terms of style, colors, things like that. I'm very into numbers. Bryce will be the first one to tell you that he is financially illiterate and he is much more ostentatious. Um, he, he likes bright colors, loud stuff. Um, you know, we, we go, we'll go, you know, we've been on vacation a couple of times together and he'll go into these stores that are selling these just off the wall, crazy plaids and paisleys and all that stuff. And he's like, this looks cool. And I'm like, dude, not a chance would we ever make something like that. So I think that it's a yin and a yang. We, we really balance each other out. Um, you know, if you think of it like a restaurant, Bryce handles the back end, So he handles all of the sourcing, dealing with manufacturers and things like that. He's in the kitchen cooking stuff. And then I handle the front end. I deal with our retailers, um, e-commerce, marketing, things like that. What is like the transparency through like communications that you guys have like with each other? Uh, well, it's just brutally honest. I mean, it, you know, we, you know, so, you know, like I said, Bryce handles the back end, I handle the front end, but we meet in the middle to design everything we do. And so we have a lot of different uh, software applications that we use to design, uh, you know, plaids to stripes on polos to just quarter zips like I'm wearing right now that, um, that, you know, he'll, sometimes he'll come up with colors and design something and I'll be like, dude, hell no. And then, you know, I'll, I'll design something and he'll be like, absolutely not. And so we just meet in the middle and it's just, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a relationship that's just built on uh, complete honesty because, it, you know, we have two sort of different styles that we're trying to blend together to make something for a, a much bigger target market than, than either of us could do separately. So it was like, so it was like the moment that like you really, it really is like started, your company really started, like started to take off and, and things, you know, the snowball started like rolling down the hill for you. You know, it's hard to pinpoint one time. I, I think two years in, um, we got, 
we, we really started rolling when we, we were able to grow the line. We had some, uh, we have enough capital on our own to, to grow the line, but then um, we picked up a store called Shades. Uh, Shades has 10 locations along the coast, and then they actually just opened up one here in Oxford. Um, but we went down there to sell them the line, knowing that we would not, if they decided to pick up the line at once, we did not have enough inventory to supply all 10 of those stores at the time, right? And so I'm driving down there with, a, with one of our first sales reps, Peyton, and, and I told him, I said, we can't sell them the line. Uh, you know, we're, we need to try to pre-book this so they'll, 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 they're willing to take inventory like next season kind of thing. And, um, you know, we showed them the line, they asked questions, they liked all the answers to our questions, we took them to lunch, and they said, you know, hey, we want to put in the line, like, now. And I said, sure, let's do it. Uh, let's go for it. And, you know, I can feel Peyton, you know, out of the corner of my eye staring at me like, dude, we just talked about this. So basically, what I did is, is I had to come back, we, 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 we had to get inventory. I, you know, it was almost, we almost sold ourselves right out of business, to be honest with you. Um, and I had to go get investors. Um, so we, uh, through the business school and some relationships we had here, I, I was able to get um, uh, some a really good group of investors, uh, Jan and Lawrence Farrington, that are very involved in the business school, uh, two of the sweetest people you'll ever meet, and then Clark Love, um, who uh, is involved in the business school and has started several businesses, um, Ole Miss alum, who is one of the brightest guys you'll ever meet. Um, they, they decided to invest and they've been a, they were the foundation that gave us the capital and the money to really get the ball rolling and, and go out and, and grow more. Yeah. Like I, like it's kind of like one of those, like the stories you hear, like about, uh, like business legends, like Carol Shelby, where like, he's going back and forth with, between Ford and, uh, and other manufacturers to get, get everything put together for his, like first car and like he didn't really have everything uh you know he was kind of like you know kind of like you uh, you know like you he's kind of stretching himself out there but he knew if he could just just get it done that like, like he, he just get that first step going he's you know, yeah he get you know I'm, I'm definitely more of a ask for forgiveness than permission guy so yeah. we kind of went out and did it and uh and it worked out and and we've actually we had to go we that that's not that wasn't the first time that happened we actually had to go out and do it again last year um, which is a good feeling, but the pressure, the mounting pressure to raise that much capital in a short period of time is, uh, it's kind of tough. Yeah. So, so how do you like source, uh, uh, your clothing and, and fabrics? Like, mm -hmm. so, so how do you pull together those logistics? So sourcing is something that I would consider probably our, 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 really our strongest core competency. There's two, two, the two main reasons apparel companies go out of business is they can't raise the capital to grow and they can't find good quality manufacturing. So Bryce and I through several different backwards alleys, uh, there's all, just to tell you without giving too much away, all import data is public record in the United States. So if something is imported in the United States, that is public record. Now you may have to pay for it, um, but we've taken those records and looked at what other apparel companies are bringing in. And we, you know, that's how we find our, our, our manufacturers. Now for us, we do a lot of things that are a bit different and it ends up being less efficient, but makes a better quality product. Uh, but we make all of our fabric in separate mills from where it's actually cut and sewn and put together. Uh, so we may have fabric made in Taiwan and it may be shipped to Thailand to be put together. Um, 
you know, I, I looked at, I, I read a, an autobiography uh, or just not an autobiography, a biography on Steve Jobs. And, and it talked about Steve Jobs and his idea of putting the iPhone together and sourcing the best quality components. And yeah, the iPhone was more expensive than any other phone out there, but people wanted it. Right. And so we've kind of taken that approach with sourcing the highest quality pieces and then finding a, 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 a mid ground, a good price point that we can wholesale it. And, and still make money and then sell it. And, and, and then the price point isn't so high that we can't sell it online uh, to a large demographic. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah that makes complete sense. Because mm -hmm. like, because pulling each thing, each, each little bit together can be like pretty hectic, especially, especially with what your company's doing by, you know, like shipping things to Thai, from Taiwan to Thailand can be you know, a little crazy to think about someone that, you know, that's not really experienced because, uh, I mean, those are, those, those are just like, you know, mag like magnitudes of scale that people aren't really, you know, and having, having to make sure that's all done, you know, correctly and not having to run into any sort of like custom violations or, you know, ethical rules. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Difficult. Yep. So um, right now I'm wearing like this hoodie called Seek Discomfort. And basically the, the niche is, you know, seek discomfort. And like the goal for the company is to help people seek discomfort because that's the journey where, where you'll be the most happy. So how did you find the niche for your clothing brand? So we, I grew up in a, in a time where a lot of people were starting clothing companies that were called Southern this or Southern that or Vineyard Vines or whatever. And I, my mom used to buy me that stuff and I just hated it. I, there was something about the smiling whale and the smiling fish that just didn't fit with me. Right. Like I like to fish. I like to hunt. I like to be outside. I like to play golf. And, and that stuff just didn't really fit with, with me. Colors were too bright, too loud, a little bit too ostentatious. So what we, what we were looking for is, is I really like, there's two brands that I just, I, I really like. I like Peter Millar and I like Orbis, but they sell to two different customers. So I felt like, and Bryce felt like there, there are enough people out there that they like Peter Millar, really good, high quality, high price point, nice fabrics, good feel, performance wear, and Orbis that's more designated for hunting outdoorsmen, things like that. And we, and we found a way to put it together. Um, and we were a little nervous at, at first that there wasn't going to be a big enough target market out there, but we spent enough time talking to retailers that we, we realized that, Hey, I think there actually is a need out there. People are tired of the same Southern this Southern that bright colors, preppy stuff, things like that, that we can kind of find a middle ground. Um, and, and so far we've been successful with that. And, and, you know, one of the ways that we, we did that is we, we actually went to, there's apparel shows where you go sell your, your shirts wholesale in like New York, Dallas, Charlotte, things like that. So we went to a, an apparel show in Charlotte and uh, we talked, we, well, we, what we did is we used, my grandparents own a bunch of different businesses. So we used one of their tax IDs to go there and act like we were buyers, like we owned a clothing store. So we went there and we just asked a bunch of questions of people that, that had started clothing lines. And we were asking them about their, you know, successes and failures. And there were some, some people that were hugely successful. And then we got stuck in another room with a lady telling us about how she bought $50,000 worth of polos and she couldn't give them away. Right. So we got all these different spectrums and we pulled, you know, really I'm an error-based example person. So, you know, when we were looking for the niche, I wanted to, I wanted to know why was somebody not successful trying to find their target market as, as, you know, so we, we looked at that and then tried to find ways to be successful. Yeah. It sounds like y'all were like focused on different, like 
different, uh, what is it like differentiation with your business and like your brand. And so I guess my question is, do y'all have like a lot of loyal customers who like rebuy and things like that? Like, um, are there continuing buying them? Absolutely. It's hard to put a, a number on it. We get a lot of uh, e-commerce uh, analytics that show us, you know, you know, of our customer base, this many people are, are repeat customers. It's really tough to say right now because with the pandemic, our, our e-commerce actually quintupled it because our wholesale business was non-existent. But for our for our wholesale customers that we sell to, like we sell to stores like on the square, Landry's is one of our biggest customers, uh, Dixie Pickers up in Memphis, uh, places like that. Um, so for them, yeah, they, you know, it's funny talking to them. They've got people that'll come in the store and tell us like, Hey, we've got this guy. He owns one of every shirt that y'all make, like just loves it. Um, and then probably the most surprising thing about the repeat customers is if you find someone who has a wife or girlfriend that loves a shirt, they will keep coming in and buying it over and over again for their husband or boyfriend. And so of our e-commerce customers, actually two thirds of our e-commerce customers are women, uh, which is surprising for a men's clothes. We don't make anything for, for we don't make, make any women's apparel. So, um, so that's, it, it's interesting to see that, it, that is as well. That definitely is something like you wouldn't think of. Yeah. And, you know, and, and as far as our advertising goes, when, when we get closer, like when we get into December, November, December, around Christmas time and holidays where people are buying gifts, you know, we do so much advertising on Facebook and Instagram. And it's so targeted and so specific that we'll actually target certain ads directly at women, you know, women who are married or moms of kids that are aged between, you know, like 21 and 35 um, things like that. Um, so it, it, we get pretty specific now that we've been in business for four years, we can identify and target those ads uh, in a much more specific and productive way. Yeah, that, that was going to be like my, my next question, like, 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 in what ways do you market and, and orient your marketing to increase that foot traffic or internet traffic? Yeah. So when we started, I, you know, we started with just like $10 a day on, on Facebook, just something small so we could learn it, um, really get familiar with the back end of Facebook and Instagram, uh, the Facebook ads manager, which there really should be a whole class on that uh, here in the business school because it is that important. That's what advertising is now. Um, and, and the reason it's, it's so useful is because of all the analytics that we can pull out of it to really focus our advertisements. So, you know, we start off at $10 a day. Now, when we get into holidays, I mean, we may spend a couple hundred to even close to $1,000 a day on, on Facebook and Instagram sponsored ads because they're that effective. Um, and our, ad, our, our, our target market is so specific on there that we're seeing that, seeing that kind of return on it. Um, we use an ad agency now to help us with those ads. Um, just my time and Bryce's time, they, they look at those analytics and they, they, really focus them down. But then we, we just started getting into print advertisements. Uh, we just did a deal with Ducks Unlimited that we're going to be a, a full page um, ad in their um, November, December issue. Um, so we're excited about that. It's expensive, but we did a small ad with them last year that we saw some return on. So we're, we're hoping we see a much bigger return with a much bigger ad this year. So for accounting majors that might listen to this podcast, like in what ways have, like, have you in which you had you you and Bryce like had a like like learn the system uh, like work out a system 
and what ways have has that like played into your perception of how of how to more efficiently run the business uh you mean from like a cash flow standpoint absolutely yeah yeah so um there's probably not enough time for for me in this podcast for me to explain our cash flow situations but i'll do it in a pretty short and sweet to try to help you all understand Okay, so so we go we pre-book items, right? So so when we're selling for spring good, when we're selling spring goods, we're actually selling them in July and August of the of the previous year. Okay. So so we just got done selling spring goods for 2021 a couple weeks ago. Right. So we sell we we book those items. Now we we've already paid for the fabric of those items that the fabric is, is being made. If we haven't paid for all of it, we've paid for at least 50% of it. Right. So the fabric's made, we pay hundred percent of it. Then it's shipped to our cut and sew manufacturer, right? The cut and sew manufacturer makes it. And then we pay for the garment, hundred percent pay for the garment. Once it's, once it's FOB, which means freight, freight on board. So that means once that container of shirts leaves a factory, we own it. So we have to get insurance on that container. We have to find a ship to put it on to get it shipped to us, right? But remember, we've paid for it all. So we've paid for all those goods. And then once we put it on a boat to get it here, well, it takes 30 to 45 days, depending on customs, for it to actually be delivered to our door, all right? So now, you know, we've paid for all those goods. 45 days later, we receive them. And then from there, we ship them to our to our wholesale partner. So we, we sell to 120, it's about 125, 126, somewhere in that range of retail customers. So we ship all those shirts out to our customers. Now we bill everything on net 30 terms. So now those retailers, they have supposedly 30 days to pay us. But in my venture finance class, this is always shocking to people. Just because you bill someone on net 30 terms, doesn't mean you're getting paid in 30 days. So, so we bill them on 30 day terms, but our, our day sales outstanding. Uh, so our DSO averages around 48 days. So we may not get paid on those goods that we've shipped out for 48 days. So from the time that we pay for fabric to be put into production to the time that the, the fabric, you know, goes to the, to the cut and sew factory, to the time we pay cut and sew to, when we actually get it to when we get paid on it, our money may be out three and a half, four months, if not longer, right? So that's a long time. Now, in the meantime, I've got nine employees. I've got mouths to feed, right? I got nine employees I got to pay. I've got a 6,000 square foot warehouse I've got to pay rent on. I've got to keep up my marketing expenses. So I have a ton of overhead. And so I have to have capital in that period of time to buy all those goods and continue my business operations until I get paid again. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's why investors having a good commercial lender, we have a, a pretty significant line of credit that allows us to, you know, draw it up and pay it down and things that basically just a big, big credit card. We draw up and pay down and things like that, you, you know, to, to help us balance those cash flow issues apparel is the worst industry for cash flows i can't i can't imagine any other industry being this terrible for cash flows um but it, you know it's 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 what we do and we found ways to uh to get through those you know those dry times uh you know just to give you guys to you know you know and i'll wrap it up with this but our the the, the sales system is like a roller coaster uh, quarter one, January, February, March, it's really, really slow because we're getting into spring, but it's still cold. So people aren't going out and buying swim trunks and polos and stuff like that yet. Quarter two, March, April, May, 
that's when that's when spring just explodes. That's a huge, huge sales period for us. Then quarter three, uh, you know, <laughs> July, uh, August, September. Well, we're getting into fall, but you guys have been in Oxford in, in August and September. It's still a thousand degrees. So people aren't buying sweaters and button downs and stuff like that. So then we get into quarter four. That's and then that's huge. Right. It explodes. So it's just a roller coaster throughout the year of downtimes and uptimes where cash flows are great and cash flows are slow. Yeah, that was a great example of like cash flow. Um, so let's go back to like, like in the early days of starting your company, mm-hmm. where some things like keep in mind to like keep your business alive. <laughs> All right. So remember that, remember that girl I told you that I dated that was mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, so fast forward about a year, we hired her. Right. And then that lasted about eight months and then that ended poorly. Right. So don't hire your significant other. Number one, that's number one rule. Okay. Now going back even, even before that, um, is kind of, she, she, we hired her and, and so she worked as a, as a sales rep and then, man, she was mean. Bryce and I were terrified of her. And, and then, you know, she went off to Austin city limits and never came back. And that's a true story. Um, but so before that though, when Bryce and I got started, so we go to, we go to that Charlotte apparel show, the first retail show we ever went to, we went, we only had four polos. The only thing we were showing was four polos. So we're in this room, to be honest with you, we looked, it looked awful because we had nothing to sell. We except for four shirts and somehow we picked up 12 stores, but the mistake we made is we bought all of that inventory, four polos and 1600 pieces. So four polos, 400 pieces and four colors. We bought 1600 shirts before we had ever sold a single one. That was a horrible mistake. What we should have done is we should have been a little bit more patient, waited a season and pre-sold those items. And so if we would have pre-sold those items, we could have bought more accurately. Now, like I said, fortunately we sold through those and we sold through them relatively quickly. Um, But you know, piling on inventory in the apparel business is one of the quickest ways to die. It's not like wine, right? The shirts do not get better with age. So you need to, you need to turn them out each season. Um, and so that was, that, that was one of, that was a mistake that we made. Um, but, uh, you know, we've learned, we, we've made some small mistakes and hit some small roadblocks along the way, but we've, we've learned how to pivot and, uh, and get around those aspects. Just sound like, like, like your whole, your, the whole thing on cash flows and, and like like the logistics just sounds like sounds like so uh, like an accountant major or like an economics major is like like dream of like models for, for doing that the ups and downs i don't know i you know dream it, it may be it's it's a it's fascinating how it works my accountant who is a, a really close friend of mine probably gets slightly irritated when I pile all this stuff on him at the end of the year and and because we do you know we do monthly financial statements so I like to know at any one time where where do we stand as a business and and so we do monthly P&Ls balance sheets and cash flow statements and that's a lot of work and we pay for it but it, it, yeah. you need to know that um, because you know if you don't know the books if you don't know where you stand financially it's like flying an airplane without controls and um, you'll crash pretty quickly. From, from what you've kind of distract, described from like your first steps with like the first four pieces you brought to that show, it's kind of like how, I'm, how I've kind of like started to learn the business approach for like for me is like kind of like terms of fake business. It's like you don't really know what's going to happen until you make that first sale. So like, you know, you don't know if you're legit or not, you know, you know, you're borrowing someone else's tax ID, 
like moving around. So like, would you like, like give someone, someone like me, like some advice for how to like get out of the fake business approach of just bringing four shirts to a show to like, you know, like moving into like real business and, you know, making smart moves. Yeah. I, you know, patience, patience and discipline is, is the, is the biggest aspect because you really, if you know what industry you want to get into, you need to have a PhD on that industry. And, you know, Bryce and I, like I said, we took two years to learn the apparel industry, learn fabrics, learn cut, learn terminology, all this stuff. Um, and then there were still a lot of things that we didn't know once we started selling. So I, I think that patience and discipline, you know, it, there are too many people that are out there looking for get rich quick schemes and, and try just trying to, you know, just jump into an industry and just, and just say, you know, just kind of do it on the fly. It, it doesn't work. I've seen it in apparel. Apparel is tough, man. You know, when you go into a gas station and you look at all, you look at the coolers with all the drinks, they're very, very rarely do you ever see a shelf on that cooler that doesn't have, it's not filled with drinks, right? Because if, if that shelf space isn't filled, that's, that's opportunities for sales that are lost. Um, so with, you know, with retail stores, if you go into Landry's on the square or even more so if you go into Hinton and Hinton, that store is packed with inventory or those stores are packed with inventory because they're, they're doing a dollars per square foot. They, you know, they want to know how much churn am I getting per square foot in my store? Um, and, and that was, you know, that was something we learned after the fact that just kind of stuck out to me, but, you know, to answer your question, patience and discipline that that's the biggest advice i could ever give to anybody and doesn't matter what industry or what business you're starting okay so one last question that we want to ask all our guests is what's one thing that you wish you had known at the beginning of your career oh man uh i you know i wish someone would have told me to be a little bit more patient um i mean it's that that's something that i definitely wish someone had told me i you know outside of that i i (laughs) Honestly, if I had known more about the apparel industry, I probably wouldn't be in the apparel industry. Um, but, you know, patience, discipline, take your time. Um, you know, those are the aspects that, it, that Bryce and I have kind of built our business on. And we've been successful to this point. Um, so just, you know, take your time, know what you're doing. You don't always have, you know, you might fall into things, right? I never thought I'd be in the apparel industry. Um, I did pharmaceutical sales right out of school and I realized real quick, I didn't like pharmaceutical sales. So, um, you know, it doesn't hurt to take those experiences and use them. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, one, one aspect I, I guess to hit on is, is self-awareness. Um, you have to know what you're, what you do well and what you don't do well. Um, and it's important to know that before you, you start a business or get into something like pharmaceutical sales, like I said, and realize you don't like sales. Um, but that's, you know, those dynamics, patience, discipline, self-awareness, um, you can go a long way um, with those aspects. All right. Uh, we don't have much time left, so would you like to to give the listeners uh, some way to reach out to your company, to come look at your product lines, try to help you? Yeah, yeah. I'm not, uh, you know, I, I don't, don't take this as shameless self-promotion, uh, but, you know, we sell, like I said, we sell to 120-something retailers in 20 different states. Um, our retail partners really drive uh, the success of our business. Um, our business mix is about 70% wholesale, 30% e-commerce. Um, we're online at genteelapparel.com. Um, you know, we just, we just got a bunch of new fall inventory in. So we're excited about that. I'm excited to turn that out and get that out the door. Um, you know, there's, yeah, that's, that's us. I'm, um, I'm, 
you know, I, I appreciate the, the opportunity to come on and, and I hope that, I hope that it, it's meaningful. Um, you know, everybody has a different perspective on what they want to do and, and start in their business, but the principles or the foundations of doing that all, all kind of relate, right? It's, it's knowing the industry you're getting in and then it's, it's learning how to, how to get the capital to grow, um, understanding why businesses in that industry fail, things of that aspect. Thank you so much for your time and your insights into entrepreneurship. And we look forward to seeing your business prosper. Awesome. I appreciate y'all and I uh, hope this was, hope this was beneficial to everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks guys. Have a good one. That was a spectacular first podcast with our guest, Blake Davinsky. Join us in our next podcast where we talk to Karen Kerr, the CEO, owner and founder of No Time to Cook. Thank you to all the listeners that joined us. We hope that this podcast or our upcoming podcast can inspire you to take your first steps into business. Till then, we'll see you on the next First Steps podcast.